Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out here with me. Look, the main event is coming up, so I'm going to try to get out of the way. The stars are getting ready to take over this podcast. So here's the deal. House of L is a place where I love to allow people to create, have conversations. I always joke about people can take my podcast for a test drive. That concept ended up turning into a good business venture with Sports Adjacent. Those guys are now dope, and they have their podcast that runs once a week inside of House of L. I don't mind when people are like, hey, I don't need you to be on the podcast. I got some stuff that I want to talk about. You, If you're thinking about doing a pod and you know me, hit me up. That's what I always tell folks. They can just hit me up and we can figure something out. We did that with a couple of experiments earlier in the summer too. My guy Joe Kilgallen did some great stuff with the Cubs. So, you know, we're a small company. We really only have one employee, your boy. But I... We've kept the company small so that I can make sure that I pay people for their work. I also love it because I know so many talented people and me getting out of the way. I actually really like, I guess technically the the term would be executive producing, like saying, hey, you're talented and interesting. Why don't you do something for the podcast? Do whatever you want for the podcast. But House of L is still like my baby, so it's rare that I just, like, turn it over to people, but I can't think of too many other people inside this industry that I would feel more comfortable turning the podcast over to than Layla Rahimi, especially considering that her guest on this episode is Shakia Taylor, who's just one of my favorite people. And I'll give you the backstory on how this episode came to pass. Layla said to me, she goes, hey, I I got Shakia lined up for the podcast. How are we going to do this? Are you going to sit in on it? And I said, well, when is it? And Layla's like, well, we're going to record at 10 o'clock. I was like, well, I can't sit in on it. So I reached out to Tony Gill and I said, Tony, I need you to quarterback this because I'll be on the radio show. So three of my absolute favorite people. Tony Gill producing it. 
And Tony, like, gave me thorough notes and everything. I was shocked. I'm sure Russ and Jason are shocked, too. Shakia Taylor, like I said, one of my favorite people, and she should be one of yours, and Layla Rahimi. Goes without saying, right? Cool. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let these two really genuine people do their thing. And I really hope that you enjoy the episode because Layla has agreed to do at least one more of these. But the first person that she hit up was Shakia Taylor. You are going to love this. Enjoy. First of all, thank you for joining me. I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people ask you to be on podcasts, but I feel like we always have great conversations that are sports and life and worldview and the concept of societal behavior. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you. And I think more coffee in 2024 is an excellent <laughs> idea. We were just talking about La Catedral and Pilsen and the concept of coffee dates and the idea of, I think, gentle socialization for those of us who maybe live by ourselves and the only words we speak are at work. What, oh, what absolutely. Pro- yeah, I was just going to say, like, either you chime in whenever or, or just uh, I could ask you, like, what prompted you to uh, think of this? Because I think it's a great idea. Well, having more coffee dates in 2024 is both a social goal and a professional goal. Um, I am trying to step out a little bit more professionally and be Shakia Taylor, sports writer, Chicago Tribune, right? But also, I have a personality. And it's not limited to talking about sports. And I feel like people think that their interactions with me have to be about sports. While I enjoy that, it is not the only part of my life, right? So with these coffee dates, I get to be social with people while also having what has become my life juice, iced coffee. Um, And I can find out more about people. There's no pressure. It's not an interview. It's a casual, you know, situation. We can snack, have a little bit of lunch maybe. But ultimately, I find that coffee dates are a really cool way to connect in a short amount of time. We're not committed to two, three hours, you know, dinner, waiting for someone to serve us or going to a noisy club, which by the way, I am aged out of clubs. I have a story about (laughs) clubs. Let me tell you, let me tell you. So Shout out to my homegirl in Dallas who will no doubt listen to this and text me after I say this. I love you. You're a great friend. However, she suggested when I was visiting around Thanksgiving that we go to a club. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? I'm 40. I don't want to go to the club. There is nothing at the club for me. Like, and I even said this really like old person thing. I was like, you know, I love rap. And that's true. I I love rap. I love all kinds of rap. But I was like, and you know, no one loves Coke rap more than me, but I like to listen to it sitting down. (laughs) So that is where I am in life. I want to socialize with a seat. And a coffee (laughs) shop is the perfect place to do that. Like, we can look at each other, we can talk, we can hear, my feet don't hurt. You know, I am aged out of a lot of that stuff. So now I'm bringing the socialization to me. 
I feel like that's proactive. I am dying laughing at the phrase Coke wrap. I've never heard that before. That's amazing. <laughs> like, how, have I, how have I not heard it? I just, I, I think I, I think I call it like hip hop. I do cardio to or dance to. No, it's, it's Coke wrap. <laughs> it's absolutely Coke wrap. I mean, we can, we can call it anything. And Coke wrap covers a couple of different things, right? Because you got actual coke rap where rappers are discussing moving drugs, right? That's the rap that gets you going. But then coke rap in like its energy, right? I know a lot of people who work in the service industry through the years. I've heard lots of coke stories. So I know coke rap, you know, it's a double entendre there. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> I, I didn't, it's, it's like one of those terms where I'm like, oh. Uh, yes okay okay i'm i just called it like fast move like i'm like oh this hip-hop has like a 128 bpm let's go put it on the playlist to work out <laughs> well the um, other part about that as i take us to another place right now <laughs> that's is, the whole point this is house of I, this isn't house of forced you know discussion <laughs> house of agendas no like yeah so house of agendas <laughs> Speaking of co-grab, so hear me out. Are you a dancer? Do you dance? Well, did you dance when you went out? Okay. Yes. So what I have found is there is an entire generation of people who do not dance. Nope. And I'm going to take it a step further. I believe they cannot dance because I've seen these TikTok videos where all they move is their arms. So like, I know you can't dance. So picture yourself in a club, right, with these people who cannot dance. That's not fun. So you got coke rap, your feet hurt, and you around a bunch of people who can't dance. Where is the fun in that? I'm a millennial. I dance. So I rap, you, I sing. Right, like we move expressionally. And like the face, you know, people are making fun of our faces now because we all like the stink face when we dance. And I'm like, where did these frown lines come from? And then everybody's like this. <laughs> you know, frown with your head or with your head up but the funny thing is like the the uh the kids as we like to say and i'm all for letting the kids be the kids like i yeah i'm of the age now where you should make fun of me that's fine i don't care like we we got a lot more advantages and like college wasn't as much as it is now and house prices weren't as much as they are now so yeah i feel like go ahead mm -hmm. make fun of me because i use my arms when i dance and I guess they don't. And I'm like, then what are you? I'm like, then what? What are you doing? Like, are you? Are you just like, do you keep them behind your back? Like, I have questions here as to where you're putting them if you move around. <laughs> so I have the answer. They are not children of Janet. We are a rhythm nation. They are a rhythmless nation. It's tragic. It's tragic. <laughs> they. I just they don't even know. Like, not being able to dance. I, I I used to choreograph for my dance team and the, the way I would research is either by like going to competition to watch another school because we didn't have video online then or by watching the newest Janet video over and over and over and trying to pick up the choreography and wearing out the heads on the VCR. And I don't want to live in a world without Janet Jackson choreography. That woman is still dancing on tour. I, I think I think what's missing is look, I'm gonna put my put my granny cap on right now. Um <laughs> is when I was when I was a youngster, um we choreographed 
songs and dances. We watched videos and tried to learn them. I remember like recording videos and then pressing pause on the VCR for those of you who have never seen a videotape um, on the VCR and like learning them. My cousins and I would pretend to be TLC. Like mm -hmm. that's where, you know, and then like, you know, in the movies of those like coming of age 90s movies where you practice at home and then you go out and you're like, yeah, I'm about yeah. to really turn this place. They don't do that anymore. These kids are not cool. So listen, you might say they can make fun of you. I dare somebody young to make fun of me. I am cooler <laughs> than you. I dress better than you. I can dance. Like, come at me because, you know, I might be 40 and I might crack my back often, but, but. I got you on a lot of places if you're younger than me. And I don't understand that. They don't have fun. Have I fun. Also, I also feel that way about a lot of like athletes from the 70s where where I'm like, you guys just seem a lot cooler than most most people either before you and after you. And I'm like, right. well, how did we how did we mess this up? Why did you only get like 10 years to be that awesome in public? I mean, coolness is a state of mind, right? I think if you think you're cool, that's the first step is that is confidence. And 70s athletes were confident. Mm -hmm. So then when you stack the confidence with the talent, right? But then you also had, and I hate the word swag, but they were super swaggy. Mm -hmm. I personally would not mind a moment of being able to dress the way people did in the 70s um, because they were, they were very stylish. So I think like if you set the stage up where people assume you are cool, then you are just nothing but cool. And maybe I'm speaking from experience because I get this a lot and I'm like, fam, I think it's hilarious that you think I'm cool because I am just a giant nerd with good taste. I mean, but that is cool though. To be a nerd is cool. <laughs> to have good taste is cool. Also the seventies I think was a celebration of wearing a lot of color. So I know you love mm. wearing black, so that mm. might be the uh, that mm. might be the style mix that has to go on there. You've got to get all you these silhouettes and accessories, but it might be a darker color palette. Maybe, but I feel like I could do like like last year for um, the eve of the eve party, I wore a black sequin dress, right? Like Perfect. I get a little jazzy, but I keep it black. I, feel I also like black is my default. <laughs> I, I, who also wear too much black when I'm not on television, uh, wore a black lace dress when I went to Eve of the Eve. So yes, I feel like we are always in lockstep when it comes to the approach. Uh, if the shoes are fire, who cares? That's, that's it. Well, at least that's my approach. See, I do, the, I do the opposite just, again, because of work, because five days a week is going to dictate your wardrobe. So for me, uh, I have to wear like simple shoes just to like but I'd rather wear cool shoes just for the record. Like your, your sneaker collection, and I'm actually glad that it's kind of segueing into this because that's one of the stories you just did that piqued my interest was, uh, was your most recent sneaker story. And like your collection, I feel like has been impressive before it was cool to have an impressive sneaker collection. I feel like there's a, a few sneaker heads who like didn't really talk about it that I knew that weren't athletes and uh, they just quietly had an amazing collection. And I feel like you're one of them. Oh, you know, so sneakers to me are 
not just a part of my clothing. I think they are part of expression. Um, and as a child of the 90s, right, like I grew up in the era where getting fresh was a thing. Like my parents are not old. Um, my dad doesn't even like to be called old because he just is like, I'm not. But for me, when I was born, they were in their early 20s. So mm -hmm. I had young, cool parents who dressed me nice. And, you know, I had Nikes with, I remember one of the earliest pair of Nikes I owned was a pair of high tops. And my mother put two strings, two laces in each shoe, right? And they were pink sparkles with a black lace to complement. Fire, it. okay? Love Kindergarten it. Shakia was stepping out here. And that just carried on through life. Um, I've always been a shoe person. Sneaker love translated into, I had an impressive collection of heels during my college days. Mm -hmm. um, and now I have shoes that I've been sitting on for years. One of my really good friends, he's like a brother to me, his name's Art. When we were growing up, he was the guy who got the job at Champs in the mall. And then he also worked at Foot Action. So he would be, and this is before, right? Like Hypebeast and backdooring sneakers and all of that became a thing right. and you just couldn't get access to him. And he would always say, you know, hey, if you want a pair, let me know. And mm. I could just walk into the mall and buy my size. Or my parents could just go to the mall and buy my size. And I started acquiring shoes that I wasn't allowed to wear a lot. Like my mom would be like, those shoes cost $85. Don't get them dirty. Don't, you know, run around outside in them. So I started having like some precious pair. Now at my current age, which I've already said at least four times, like I, um, I just, I feel like sneakers are just a part of who I am. I get a lot of compliments on like my fits um, and the bears, my cause, my cleat story was, honestly, I didn't know where that was gonna go. I didn't want to write a straight up, these are the cleats that players are gonna wear, or these are the sneakers that the owners, you know, or uh, management or whatever got customized. I thought them connecting to those two young people who started this very unique sneaker museum with customization was the story. And in doing that, I got to know them a little bit. And one of them asked me, she says, <laughs> do you dress like this? Or did you dress like this because of the sneaker event? And I looked down at myself because I never actually considered it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? This is, this is just how I dress. Right, right. But you fit the bill. What shoes did you have on that day? So it was, I got to give you the whole fit. I can't just tell you the shoes. So I had yeah. on, I had on an alpaca cardigan. Um, it's lovely. I love to, I'm Midwestern. I got it on sale. It was great. Um, and then I had on joggers. I have recently become a joggers girl thanks to one of the uh, women at Nordstrom who picked out this amazing pair of very comfortable sweats for me. So I had on a cardigan, joggers, and a pair of J's. I just had on my lost and founds. 
they were like my sneaker of 2023. I wore them as often as I could whenever I got them because the red, black, and like cream uh, colorway is just a fire Chicago, you know, like colorway. It goes with everything. It's an eye catcher. And I always love when people who I can tell are not sneaker people. Sorry, I just sneezed. You're yeah. good. I tried to be as with quiet people. as possible to not have a pause. <laughs> it's fine. We sneeze sometimes. But um, when people who are not sneaker people see my shoes and they start talking about them, I just say they're J's and leave it at that. Because I have a lot of people who think that they collect sneakers and it's like, fam, those are monarchs. My dad cuts the grass in those. Like, <laughs> do you? Air monarchs. <laughs> I call my shoes air monarchs all the time. I'm like, these are air monarchs. And like, nobody laughs at the joke. And I'm like, man. That's, that's is it because they don't know what monarchs are? I guess. Like, I make that joke all the time because, like, my workout shoes kind of, like, I, I joke that they resemble them. But, yeah, it's uh, it's bad. I always had to have, like, a lot of side support because I flat feet. But, like, I do I do love the J collection. I think you're right. Like, to me, it's the classic black and white I love the most, I think. But the cream and the red and white, something about that cream color just really makes everything pop. And and subtle at the same time. I don't know. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. It's I a agree. Circle. We gotta turn you into a light sneaker person. Like I I wanna help any of my media friends, particularly ones in sports, like dress a little better. I get so upset when there's like the the memes and it'll be like broadcast journalists dress like this print journalists dressed like this and i'm like come on guys let's what? let's 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 do better i yeah for me like i just like the air max 90s but they always sell out so fast that i because i have a very common shoe size and it's just impossible so like i they always sell out like i just want a pair of like off-white Air Max 90 for Tura's that just came out and I got to wait for Nike to get them back in stock and I'm annoyed. So I got to tell you the hack. Got to tell you the hack. I yeah. What is it? Because I like me. I, I'm frustrated by that. I, I'm assuming you wear the same size shoe as me because I wear like the most common women's shoe size in this country. Right. Uh, like an eight and a half. Oh, um, I'm seven. But yeah. Oh, like you should seven be easier. No, they never have them in stock. There's the, no, it's impossible. You, so what you're doing is you're looking for a women's shoe, right? You're looking like, hey, I need a women's size. What you need to do is get the kids. Like, yeah. so I I wear a six to a six and a half in kids' shoe. It depends on the toe box. Um, I'm one of those people who has narrow feet and long toes. Yeah. So. I can get a six or a six and a half. I go kids, kids Air Max sit, dude. And you gotta think about like, I, I know that we've gotten away from the shoe store, but you can walk in a foot locker or a foot action and grab shoes in our sizes simply because people think that everything is on sneakers or the Nike app. That's Just a amazing. tip. That's great. Just a tip. I'm That's here it. for sneaker consultation. Text me, Maggie Thank Hendricks you. does. Oh, that's that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, those are on my those are on my list, and uh, the Nike Super Reps for working out because I need a little okay. I need a little bounce in my in my shoe. But uh, I I was an Air Max ninety six person or 97, 97. I loved the Air you Max. You were destined 97. to be in Chicago. 
Dude, the Air Max might be seven. They were, I, we were obsessed in high school. Like everybody had every color and I had like Dallas Cowboys, silver and blue. Those were like it to me. I know. I'm sorry. This is. This uh, okay. Is I know people couldn't see me make that face at you. So I'm going to say <laughs> I made a face at you. Okay. So listen, you know, I just went to Dallas and I went to the Cowboys Thanksgiving game. And I know that that's like where your area, that's, that's where you grew up. That's who you grew up watching. That stadium is sick. It is, but it's also too much. <laughs> like it's great, but it's but if you're working, it is it is uh for working purposes, it's stressful. I've never been there as a fan. I'd only been there to work, but it's uh it's amazing. Yeah, the best part is is actually, and if you know, you know, it's the halftime cookies. The halftime cookies are out of this world in the press box. It makes no sense. I've never been in the press box there. I went as a fan, although yes. Colleen, uh, my trip sports colleague, told me that the Dallas Cowboys press box has some of the best food in the league. Yeah. Um, but the stadium is overwhelming. People who work there don't even know where they're going. Like you can no. ask for directions and then you ask another person and they tell you a completely different way because it's just bizarre. Um, but I will say those fans are the first people I've ever seen in my life show up to games in metallic. Like the women <laughs> were in, they, I, I was like, I was joking and I was like, are they re-wearing their Renaissance tour fits? And my friend's like, no, that's how they dress. Like they, I'm talking knee high silver sequin cowboy boots. The kids are in, the little girls are in their silver sequins. Just, I have never, ever seen that at a stadium before. Like people getting dressed, well, their version of dressed to the nines in metallic silver for Thanksgiving uh, to watch a football team. It I is felt underdressed. It's strange how it's evolved there since I moved. I feel like I, I hadn't been in Dallas full time since college. Like, because I've just been working elsewhere. But to see how that that culture has changed, even since I left Texas, which was in 2014, is is very interesting to me. Like, I think that's a I think that plays off of UT football games like the University of Texas. They the girls always wore like white jeans, like very nice white jeans, like a cute burnt orange top, as if somehow these were in massive supply cute burnt orange tops that didn't say Texas as if you could just find those anywhere. Like burnt orange is not a color that's readily available. So all no, of those but it things, looks good on most people. So it, should it is, be. it is a disturbingly flattering color and people typically think the opposite. They think that like burnt orange is not flattering. And I'm like, nah, it makes everybody pretty much look tan. I would like to bring, that's true. Maybe that's why I like it because it doesn't yeah. wash me out. No, it doesn't. Wash I would like to out. bring, southern sports culture to the midwest in that way specifically i would love if we all dressed up for sporting events like i'm not even talking about men because whatever do whatever but like yeah. women i would because i wear dresses to games when i go as a fan unless it's cold right and um i was tell telling this to carly uh at marquee who i love and mm -hmm. i was like 
I wear dresses to baseball games. I wear dresses wherever I want to if the weather is nice. And she's like, I'm not wearing a dress to a football game, Shake. I'm like, but you can. There's nothing can. wrong with it, right? So that's what I would like us to bring from Southern sports culture to Chicago specifically is getting fly for the game. Well, and here we dress for, it's as, to me, both are as much function as they are fashion because it's just more comfortable to wear a skirt in hot weather to a football game. It's more comfortable to wear a dress. You're, you're not sweating a ton, a ton, a ton. You're only sweating a ton, a ton. It's unfortunately, that's the measurement. You know, it's like for us in degree, <laughs> like it's the exact same concept, just reverse temperature. And uh, yeah, it's, it's the fashion. It's the combination of the function and the fashion that would be awesome. I got to say, though, it, the silver sequin boots, I've uh, I just I never got on board with those, even though I know they're super in style right now. And I never got on board with the white ankle boots. I keep trying to buy a pair of white ankle boots, but I just. I just can't. I, I can tell you why. Because white shoes feel very mother of the church, regardless of your religion. <laughs> like gloves on too. Yeah. Like white shoes make you feel like you're about to have the blood in the body. Or, you know, or like someone is about to come and bless you, or you're celebrating the pastor's anniversary, or like they just give I remember my grandma Gertha, um, when her and her like I'm sorry, her gang of missionary friends. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> they would put on the all white and they'd have their little candles and those white shoes. And then as I got older, I started saying like, ah, you don't wear a white shoe. You wear a metallic with a white. You know, you put on a nice muted gold or a silver, mm -hmm. even a bronze. Mm -hmm. You don't go white dress white shoes that's that's but that's what i see when i see the white boots and i've i've seen some young women um i was at the united center a few weeks back for the state farm champions classic um and there was a young woman there and she also had on her renaissance pants i'm just calling everyone in silver during the renaissance, renaissance. but she had on her renaissance pants and she had on a stacked heel white boot and i just I don't know. I, I couldn't get down with the white boot. I think in order to pull off white, you got to have a lot of things going for you. Like, and most of us do not. <laughs> but also coordination. I'm scuffing that shoe within 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, my feet are running into each other somehow. I'm 100% scuffing that shoe in 10 minutes. Not even close. And I buy the spray, you know, like the spray to either... I buy the, the sneaker spray, the factory laced, even for my beat up Adidas superstars. I don't care. And then I buy the, uh, like the spray to prevent, you know, like waterproof your shoes or whatever. But man, it's just not happening for me. I will mess them up. I wear shoes until they fall apart. I can't remember the last time I had a pair of shoes fall apart. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm friend. I can't relate. Um, but no, that's good. That's the element of class <laughs> you are. And unfortunately, that is the element of, of like me wearing myself into the ground that I am. So I feel like both are good metaphors. <laughs> I mean, we were talking earlier about how often we work, right? And how often, uh, you know, people think that we are just like 
cool with these jobs and like we can do whatever and i'm like oh maybe i need to start telling the truth more maybe i need people to know that the reason i don't wear out my shoes is because i am sitting the majority of the day or you know maybe people should know that you think my glasses are cool but i actually really need them like um <laughs> like, they are not just an accessory i sit in front of a computer all day so these are blue light glasses right like just all kinds of things i think people look at us one way and assume and i love that all the assumptions are great whenever someone meets me and they say i've heard so much about you and i go well i hope it wasn't all good um <laughs> wait <laughs> please expand on this they never catch it they'll be like oh yes of course it was and i'm thinking to myself like no like i'm saying i'm hoping someone said something a little more salacious or like a little provocative right but they aren't they aren't they say stuff like oh have you met shakia she has such great style that's true i'll take that one and I mean, like, it is true you, yeah <laughs> have you met shakia she's a great writer right those are all great things and true but like I want for want somebody to be like, have you met Shakia? Great writer, kind of a bitch. Like I <laughs> I think like that would be just like a great, just be, I'm not offended by it. Well, maybe don't call me the B word, but like you get what I'm saying. Like I think stuff like that cracks me up because I'm multi-dimensional. So when people meet me and they hear all these like very wonderful things, I think they make these assumptions, right? But then when I come around and I'm sarcastic or they 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 catch that my my humor is a little morbid. Like I was telling someone the other day at Hallis, she's like, we we're talking and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm seeing you out of context because I've only seen her in social settings. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, was there alcohol involved? Maybe. And she goes, maybe. And I was like, who's to say I could be drunk right now. You just never <laughs> know. There you go. There you go. And, and, pe and people just don't expect these kinds of comments. So I need folks to start preparing people for meeting me. Like, Shakia, great person, sense of humor is a little wild. Or, you know, <laughs> wonderful human, but she veers into the ridiculous every third sentence. Like, let's start setting people up for real expectations of me. Like keep telling them I'm stylish, keep telling them you like my hair, but also tell them that like, sometimes you can be talking to me and I just float away. Um, I'll start thinking about work. I'll think about the next story. I'll think about how what you said would actually make a really good lead. Like I'm all over the place. Tell them that. But people think that, oh, she's just, she's a creative. No, I'm not. I'm just a little weird sometimes. Like, let's, let's, let's start setting people up for real life expectations of me. I'm going to, I'm offer, not that great. I'm not going to, first of all, yes, you are. But I'm also going to offer <laughs> two things. Number one, it's the Midwest. Do they say anything bad about anybody ever when describing somebody to somebody else? We are not in Minnesota. But this it's is all Chicago. This is compared to Texas. Players. Compared to Texas, is all and especially because I moved from Philly. Like <laughs> I feel like Chicago is very much the Midwest. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in Philly, and his daughter was born there. He is born and raised Chicago. He went to college at Michigan State, but came back to Chicago. Eventually moved to Philly. Right, girlfriend, daughter. Yeah. 
nice life, all that. And he still is like, ah, kind of sucks that my kid was born here. And I crack <laughs> up every time. <laughs> like, every time. And I'm like, you got to bring her to Chicago so she can get some Chicagoness going on. Like, one of my favorite things about this city is that people here, particularly Black people, can roast. I don't know what happens in Chicago cafeterias and gymnasiums when you are a kid, but I have never met a person from here who will not flame you up. Ah. So I feel like if we ask Lawrence the next time you talk to him, he is so nice and he is so kind, but I bet you he's got a roast gene like tucked somewhere deep. You know, I had a guy ask him i had a guy once send me a picture of himself and this is like someone who is interested in me right and he sent me a picture or a video and he's got on sweats and air max and i was like look at you dressed like bob from bob's burgers like that's <laughs> exactly how you're supposed to like that's to me that's real love when i can affectionately roast you and talk about how great you are, right? Like, that's what I want people to do. Maybe don't roast me, but like, be a little honest. Like, you know, Shakia's great, except well, that one thing she does. We'll mess it up every now and then, and then people would have a reason. Just start messing some stuff up. Oh, see, okay, that's a fair point. I'm a big fan of keeping L's private. Right, like, like when, you, when you, you don't, yeah, well, I don't know you to have many. And at the same time, like, <laughs> you ha- you just don't really mess up on stuff. So that you would know, that would cause that. That's by design. I'm 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 a thinker. Like my favorite position on a baseball team is the pitcher. My second favorite is the catcher. Right. Because. I, those are the people who are in their heads during the game. Mm-hmm. Those are the people mm-hmm. who are thinking about the game they are not acting they are impressing upon the game Mm -hmm. so that is kind of how i think i like to move in life like i like to you know joe madden it i like to strategize and think about you know what consequences of this behavior am i willing to accept or am i willing to live with and then on top of that i feel like we in our positions have lost our anonymity a little bit Mm -hmm. um so you also have that to consider is okay if i go off on this person in public other people see this this becomes attached to my job it becomes attached to my professional being all of these things i have to consider like you know not to go back to dating but i was seeing someone same person bob's burgers um (laughs) and (laughs) Bombsburgers is what I'm calling him now. And like, he would want to do stuff and I'd be like, okay, we can do this, but I can't do that, mm-hmm. right? And he'd be like, well, what do you mean? Well, I personally have the very strong issue, non-issue of being unable to eat without someone walking up to me and being like, do you think my team is gonna win? Do you think blah, blah, blah? What do you think about this? Are the White Sox going to make the playoffs? The answer is always no, y'all. It's always no. No. Even when they make that one game, it's still no. Like, (laughs) I just (laughs) – or my my all-time favorite is at the beginning of this season, this Bears season, I had so many people be like, how do you think the Bears are going to do? 
what do you think about the bears? I'm like, I think you are in for a very rude awakening and they got it. But when you consider all of those things, just think about if I'm out in the club, I'm air quoting because we know I'll never be there. The like, club of life. Right. Let's say I'm out in the club and I'm You're outside. out. Yeah. yeah. I'm wilding out. Then the story becomes Shake from the Trib was out shaking her ass, right? Shake from the Trib was out. Now, granted, Shake from the Trib absolutely does do those things, but she does not do them in certain, you know, crowds, in certain audiences around certain people. So I take my L's in silence. I wish more people considered shame as a motivational tool yeah. in keeping things to themselves or keeping things offline and... But they don't. So it just makes people like me and you who don't publicize everything that we do look like we're just out here making excellent decisions when really the good decision is not telling other people. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think a lot of us have had to learn that in a in a different manner, like either I wouldn't say the hard way necessarily, because I think for mm -hmm. some it was something they learned by observation. But mm -hmm. uh the balance between shame and authenticity is something that I think has really been blurred over the past, uh, really since social media became onset. And um, it's, it's how people use it. You're right. Like we don't even use the word shame enough. I clearly am speaking like I've read a Brene Brown book or two, but I think she's <laughs> onto something. And uh, one of my great regrets actually is, is having lived in Houston and not like done more to like listen to her speak in public. Mm -hmm. um, but that is that is a good point about just the public and private nature of people based on what you think you know about them. And I'm mm -hmm. curious to know if in your position, because you've been able to do such great work and it's really observational. And I say a lot of times, I think you and Jack Silverstein are, are bordering on more so sociology than you are even journalism. Because journalism, they always say, uh, is sociology and fast forward which is something that has kind of stuck with me because that was a minor of mine, was how you guys are able to be these keen observers of patterns of behavior over time in sports. And I wonder if, if that, uh, if like for that example, like does having an elevated role affect that for you or has it? Or like does having this more public role change, you know, a little bit of how you've had to do your job when you're, you've been so good at that part of it, you know? And now you're you're part of that public culture with it as well. I think the observational part is more innate, right? Like it's my nature. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my story ideas that aren't just straightforward profiles or, you know, a feature on a person that came from I had a question. I was sitting, I was watching or I was you know, at a game or whatever, and something stood out for me. And a lot of times I think to myself, well, if I am wondering this, there's gotta be someone else who wants to know this or who thinks this, or, you know, I love being the person who asks those questions where people are like, no one's ever asked me that, or I have to think about that, you know? Um, so the observation is more my nature and I'm being myself through my work. Um, but I will say being where I am with it, it does have its difficulties. It's not something that I would say is as easy because I feel like 
um, while my editors, you know, and I mean all of them, AK, Joel, Bogues, Tracy, they all allow me to be me. There is never any pressure for me to be anyone else, for me to write like anyone else, for me to, you know, have ideas like anyone else. I very much so am in a position where I get to be me and I know that's unique in this industry. Um, but the pressure is there. And what are people gonna wanna read? And Chicago fans are, they're tough, right? You, you, you've been around them, you've talked to them, you hear them on the phone at the score. Like, they're a tough crowd, but they also just want stories that they feel they can relate to, stories that they feel are honest. Um, and, I, and I think that is where we vibe. Like, I had to remove myself from fan culture, to be quite honest, because mm -hmm. trying to be an observer of something that you are also a part of, the lines get a little blurred. And, you know, like I think about it as like the we factor, right? Like fans love to say, we won, we lost, my quarterback, my this, my that. In my role, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be neutral. I want to sit back. I want to watch. Because I think when I don't have a rooting interest or when I don't have the passion that they have and when I don't feel like there's a stake in it for me, I'm able to see more clearly. Like I am, there's, there's no longer, you know, like something in my eye keeping me from seeing over the thing. Like earlier this season, actually it was August 17th, I published a column about the Bears. And I talked about how fans have just been clinging to hope for 30 some odd years. And every year, the hope meter just resets. The clock just goes back to zero. And But I don't think I would have been able to make the observation in the ways in which I made it if I were deeply entrenched in Bears culture. Jack, on the other hand, has the unique ability of being able to be a fan and say, I am a fan, this team matters to me, while providing historical context um, to his arguments or the things that he's trying to express. For me, I gotta go the other way. I gotta pull back, I gotta watch. And I think that's also a sign of how I am as a person. Mm -hmm. I, um, I was talking to a Lyft driver <laughs> and he commented on how I speak less, but I'm obviously listening. And, and he's like, you have the right job because I've been talking your ear off. And I wanted to be like, well, most drivers talk a lot uh, because you're around people all the time. Right. But I, I ask questions for a living. So I don't want every interaction to become an interview. So I tend to fall back. Um, but that has helped me tremendously in, in this job. And um, I got an email from a fan recently asking me to write about something. I love that. That means I'm doing something right, that people are relating to me sharing what they're into, to me expressing like, this is what fans are doing, this is what fans feel. Um, and it's something that I don't think we really have a lot of locally. I have a very unique role. There are people out there trying to imitate and duplicate and impersonate and all those things. Uh, but, you know, there's only one me. So I try to be as authentic as I can with it.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What is the favorite story either you've done for the Tribune or just that you've written for many other publications? Mm, they're all my babies. I feel like every story, for the most part, that's not a newser, that's not something that's like straight up reporting, mm -hmm. they all matter to me. But I'm going to just stick to this year so I don't have to go too far back. And my favorite story that I did this year actually is one that I want more people to read. Um, and I did a, a story on Teresa Weatherspoon, the new head coach of the Chicago Sky. And I know that I am very much so like, support women's sports. But I mean that. This story, I talked to Cheryl Swoops, right? I talked to... Um, who else I talked to? Lord, I talked to Coop. I talked to Cynthia Cooper. I talked to Val Ackerman, who was the original WNBA commissioner, and she is now the commissioner of the Big East. Big deal for a woman to be a commissioner of anything in sports, right? Mm -hmm. But I talked to all these women about Teresa Weatherspoon, and I learned in that that Teresa Weatherspoon's story is deeply intertwined with the history of the WNBA. Um, I was only a teenager. I think I was like 13 when the WNBA debuted. So for me, it was like walking backwards. And this story felt really important. There are not a ton of WNBA historians out there. There are not a ton of places where you can like find people walking you through the beginning of the league to present day and making those connections. I think her significance as a player, as a black woman, as a coach, are completely understated and underrated. I, I, I think like people didn't know that this was a splashy hire for a number of reasons because they don't really pay attention. Um, the Sky have made the playoffs for five straight seasons. They got in by the skin of their teeth this last season and they got you know smacked by, of course, uh, <laughs> by the Aces. But, and so bringing in Teaspoon at this moment is pivotal. So that's my favorite story this year. And I want more people to read it, not just because I want them to support women's sports, but I want them to know more history. We often repeat things or sometimes we miss things because we're unaware of the historical implications. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I'm gonna go back to the Bears. Every decision the Bears make this off season is critical. And I think that's not an overstatement in any way. It's super critical what they do with coach, what they do with quarterback, what they do at GM, what they do everywhere. It's really important because the history is now coming out. We are talking about the history. We are talking about, you know, going back to the John Fox era that there's just been coach after coach after coach, the hirings don't align. Like people are starting to see it, but it takes people like me and Jack and others, you know, people on the beat even 
to bring these things forward. So I think that's why that spoon story is important to me. It's, it's history. I documented something in history that no one else did. So 10 years from now, when a little Layla or a little Shakia is deciding, you know, she wants to pick up sports, she can read this, this article and say like, okay, you know, when they hired Teresa Weatherspoon, it shifted the trajectory of this franchise. I do think it's a great hire. And I remember thinking when she came to the sky, it was kind of like the feeling when Kevin Warren got to the Bears, where I go, oh man, like they've got, she has a bunch of jobs she could have taken. She didn't have to go here. She had a successful mm-hmm. job as an assistant in the NBA for many years. You know, she's done about everything you can do in the game. Olympics, mm-hmm. NCAA, WNBA. She's she's covered everything. And I thought it was a great hire by this guy. Like, I completely agree with you. I uh, I remember when we we sent a producer to a press conference and we came back with so much stuff that was just really good, just her talking. And she has a sound bite a minute, as you know. But it's it's not backed up by anything other than excellence like she's it's going to be huge for them to see how this all comes together especially the way everything just quickly ended you know this last era for them mm-hmm. and it's uh everybody left at the same time and it's except for Kalia Copper you know and so it's it's been really encouraging to see her come in their new GM try to put something together and you know, we talk about it all the time, like hiring a coach before a GM. But in this case, I think it was absolutely correct. Like, you can't argue with her resume. Mm-hmm. You just can't. I think one of the issues that this guy had that uh, most Chicago teams have, it's culture. And, you know, you can't, you can't outwin a losing culture. It's mm. just never going to happen. You 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 can't outrun it. It's always going to be there sitting on your back, right? That like your your locker room is not cohesive. Your your coach, you know, or your manager or whatever their mind is elsewhere. You know, it's like Michigan wanting Jim Harbaugh supposedly, like that's the rumor, to, you know, commit to not interviewing for an NFL job. And but it's it's all those factors. Culture matters, and the coaching creates the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at at Hallis on Wednesday, I noticed one thing in the Bears organization, and I'm talking about non football. I'm talking business side. Is mm-hmm. those people like each other? They were opening their boxes of shoes and talking to each other and sharing stories and. You know, and they were like sharing hugs and talking about their families and friends. And I know I don't believe in the work family idea, but I do like getting along with the people I work with. And yeah. that's the same thing on a, on, a, on a team. You bring in someone, you want to bring in someone who has the energy, you know, who has the patience to deal because most professional athletes are 25 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You mm-hmm. got young people, young attitudes. And I think the sky's thing was, uh, you know, James Wade came in and did some great things, but the culture of the team was still not quite curling over right. Like, that's why everyone left. That It, it wasn't, you know, also, you know, we didn't win because, yeah, you didn't. But when the average age of the team is, you know, people in their 30s, and folks are starting to have lives and wives and children and whatever, 
you still have to have something to bring the team back to itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where Spoon will come in in making sure that the team is about the team. Or as Coach Staley says, and I love this, keep the main thing the main thing, right? Like, I love that. Yeah. Don Staley is a gift. Jim's from Don. She is a gift, but every team could take that hit from the sky. They seem to be the most competent team in the city right now. Yeah, and I know I know you saw my tweet where I talked about the last time teams won back-to-back games, but I was trying to give the sky credit. Like I wanted no, no, no. to positive... I wasn't dunking on you. I wasn't even no. trying to argue with you. But that's that's but that's kind of the thing though, is I feel like there's a lot in that discussion because you know, here we are trying to recognize the positivity of the sky. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, it gets it gets overshadowed by just the, the abject failure that we saw. I do think the Cubs are headed in the right direction. I still believe that. But just the the disappointment when it came to what the Sox have done, what the Bears have done. Blackhawks, I think we all know that that's, you know, in progress. But the Bulls not having one back-to-back games until this past week. Like, it's just... It's been frustrating, but I'm glad to see the Sky are are one of those teams where the arrow is pointing up. I think the Cubs arrow is pointing up and others remain to be seen. Since you were at Hallis Hall, I, you know, I know that you're everywhere and anywhere, but since you were at Hallis Hall, I feel like you do have some bearish thoughts. Do you want to share any? I mean, my my bearish thoughts are... I, I don't know. I don't know that they're actually sensational, right? Like, I, I do think, I said this on Twitter months back, I think the Bears maybe should consider not always being the place where we want to test an unproven coach. Like, that is so interesting to me. And I'm not saying that new coaches are bad because we have seen new coaches come on teams. Look at this season. We've seen new coaches come to teams and like show and prove. But Chicago specifically does not have a good track record in making those kinds of selections. Um, I don't know what's what's happening, you know, behind closed doors, but I don't know that Iberflus is the guy. I mm-hmm. mean, you're hoping and praying for 500 seasons at this point. Then you also have, I think there's been an ego problem with the Bears, right? I think about Matt Nagy and Matt Eberflus, and neither of them in post-game talk about their own mistakes, right? There seems to be a bit of hubris there in never fully acknowledging that perhaps it is the way I coach. Perhaps I need to find a different approach. You have a young, dynamic quarterback in Justin Fields. You are never going to get the perfect quarterback, right? Like quarterbacks are like pitchers, cerebral positions. We mm-hmm. have heard over and over NFL players on defense talk about how they would much rather play the Bears without fields on the team or fields being out there. That says something. And you got to coach him. You got to coach him. This is a kid who played, you know, with injuries at Ohio State and will play with injuries if you let him here in Chicago. I am not advocating for people playing with injuries. Everyone just saying that he has done it. So his toughness cannot be questioned is my point. Right. It takes a lot to get 
out of a game, yeah. Right. His will to win should not be questioned, but he still needs proper coaching. So mm-hmm. those are my Bears thoughts. If I were the Bears, I am not the Bears. If I were the Bears, I keep fields. I find a new coach. I let I let my GM hire his own coach. I don't let my GM sign off on a coach that we already picked. I let my GM hire his own coach, right? I let I let the president of the team be the president of the team. I I think a lot of this is that, you know, the McCaskey family, they got to step back a little bit and let let the team function as a team. Um, but I, I, like I said, I would keep fields and I would draft and sign people to build around him. I think it's a little unfair to be like, go out and perform for us at the top of your game. And then I just give you the bare minimum to do so. I I mean, I don't know. A lot of people are going to be like, she's from Ohio. So of course she loves Justin Fields. And maybe that's true. Maybe I do have a bit of a bias there. But as a person who has been watching sports for years and a person whose job it is to pay attention, I think there are some other factors in play other than the quarterback stinks. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And you and I both know talking to enough athletes when Justin Fields is your favorite athlete's favorite athlete. What does that say? You know, what yep. does that say about how much they like him? So I always, I always uh, am curious about that. When you talk to people who are playing other sports or they're on another team and they see somebody and they're impressed uh, I always think that that is worth noting because game recognizes game. And absolutely, to me, to me, like, I always appreciate that. And there's so many athletes who say they love watching him. And, you know, we should, too. As a whole, we should, too. And it, it makes me sad. And I, I have a feeling he's going to go somewhere else and be great. And that'll just, that'll just be the case. That's the thing. I've been saying that since they drafted him. Yeah. Right? And... I, I have friends who were mad at me for saying it. I wanted him to come here. I wasn't working at the Tribune at the time. I wanted him to come here. and I, But I've been saying from the beginning, I don't think they do what needs to be done with him. I don't think they make any positive moves forward. And I think he goes somewhere else and he balls out. And then everyone here is wondering what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, And I'm not really a big fan of the word deserve. But I think the fans here deserve better than that. I think they actually deserve a team who is actually trying. And the athletes are trying. I am not saying the people on the field are not trying. It's clear they want to win. It's clear they, they, they work hard. But when the X's and O's aren't there and when, you know, the team culture, it seems like the players love each other, right? They, they seem like they get along and all that. But mm-hmm. there's something missing. And when mm-hmm. something is missing, you got to start figuring out what that is. And if you if they don't deliver these people a team that's going to win something, a team that's going to get in the playoffs at some point, you're about to have a generational loss of fans right now. You are that's absolutely it. yep. You are going to see people walk away. You are going to like I think about how Gen Z, they're Packers fans. There are a lot of local kids who are Packers fans because the Packers win. Even when the Packers were supposed to be down this season, look at them. Look at Jordan Love. And I've seen people erroneously saying, well, how does Jordan Love compare to Justin Fields? Different situations. I think quarterback productivity is situational and circumstantial. 
And when you when you have a guy who's out there trying to play hard and he's running, having to run screens, 10, 10 of them. It was 10 in that game, right? Against the Vikings. Uh, I the last game there was uh the Monday night game, yeah, there there were 17 attempts at the line of scrimmage or behind. 17 total. So probably 10 completed screens. Yeah, it's bad. So so that's that's not a quarterback error. That is a coaching Design error. That flaw. is we don't yeah, we don't know what to do with this guy. We don't know what we're doing out here. When he says his skill is the deep ball, we've seen it. We've seen the deep ball. We the Bears, you have DJ Moore. You you should absolutely be throwing the ball on first down. Don't run. What are we doing? I could talk about this all day as evidenced by me continuing to talk about it so we can move on to something. Else. No, I mean, you're in the right, you're you know how you are. Like you're in the right spot. It's like putting a, an acrobat in a car and telling him to get out of it while it's crashing. Like it's just, oh, you didn't do it. Like th- there's still stuff around it where it has to make more sense. And I think you and I are both we're both on that same page about it. Like I've been, you know, my rants about Getsy's offensive game plan have gone viral, but as I like to say, when it stops being a problem, I'll stop talking about it. Like just basic up your offense and, and let the athletes cook. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to get cute, right? Like that is something that cracks me up. Trick plays are great and all, but let's let's get the basics down. Let's let's get the ball down the field. Let's get positive yards. Let's let's start utilizing some of our weapons here. Let's let's get our defense time off the field. Let's move the ball. Eat clock. Let's, uh, let's roll let's call smart timeouts. Green. Let's roll out. Like like let's, I there's a whole song that was very successful in our time where we used to go to the club. <laughs> Roll Talking about out, the importance right? of roll out. Every time I say it, yeah. I can't not say it in ludicrous and ludicrous case. One of the big impossible. things with the Bears is they are deeply tied to tradition when they need to cut the cord. What mm-hmm. are you holding on to? We mm-hmm. don't fire coaches midseason. Well, maybe you should because what you have not been doing, like, is clear. So it's not working for you. Do something else. I don't know. That's a big thing for me. Like when I'm writing. If I get stuck or I get to a point where I have nothing else to say, but I need to have more to say, I get up, I walk away, I do something else. Yep. The, the story is still percolating in my mind and I come back. And sometimes I have to, I have to approach it differently. I, mm-hmm. I might have something written and say, you know what, this is great, but let me, let me, let me go back to the top. That is yep. what coaches need to be more open to doing is, you know what? This doesn't work. This hasn't worked all season. But these things we saw success with, we're just going to go away from. That doesn't make sense to me. I was at the Washington game. I was sitting next to DJ Moore's mother. Okay. So sitting next to her during that game made the game experience because that stadium is terrible. But (laughs) her son is falling out. He had three touchdowns that game. She's proud. His 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 aunt is sitting behind us. She's excited. She's like, I should come to more of his games because look at how he plays when I'm at the game. And in my heart, I'm like, yes, y'all are great. But in my mind, I'm like, it's the coaching. <laughs> it, that's it. They need better. They need better. These fans they deserve do. better. They're going to bail. 
Uh, speaking of the commanders, has your dad figured out a new team to cheer for yet? And I still love that he calls them the commandos. And now that this is our show where we have the time to discuss it, your dad is, a, is an amazing character. So I need to know this because I need to know. Oh, first gosh. of all, he needs to know that I check on him as much as he's checking on us. No, he does know. And the only reason why he, you have not seen him is because I refuse to FaceTime you guys for him. <laughs> uh, but he he regularly calls you and Lawrence his friends. How are my friends, Layla and Lawrence? Uh, we should FaceTime it. them. And I'm like, I'm not FaceTiming them. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think, okay, so my dad and I talked about this recently. And so I found out that he was, an original like Baltimore Colts fan, right? Oh. And right. So he said that if he were to choose another NFL team, he would just root for Baltimore. Um because he would basically and I was like, Ugh. Ooh, that's uh that's like going from <laughs> Cubs to Sox, man. That's uh <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's that's we my he is he is a a Marylander, I guess, if that's the word for it, and I he's think, I think trying so. to, <laughs> and he is trying to stick to that. But he told me right now he is only rooting for high school football teams. He said, <laughs> "I'm rooting for the local high school football team because they play better than the Commandos," and I let it rock. Um, but yeah, he was an OG Colts fan, so I wonder if he would actually but if i could be like the daughter for a second i don't think that he's actually gonna quit his team do you think that i am the kind of sports fan i am if my parents were not loyal to their teams to a fault you know like i remember so the the washington football team in their old name they won the super bowl shortly after i was born yes they did and I remember growing up with my dad collecting like Coke cans with the logo on it, like celebrating the win. And I remember like the glasses. And if there is a Washington football team product that you can have in your home or car, my dad owns it. Um, he's got Washington football team seat covers in his truck. He's got, he finally put holes in those cans and like drained the soda out, but those cans <laughs> still exist. Like he, if you go in his kitchen, you get a, you know, a beverage, you're probably getting a Washington glass. So changing teams would have to change his whole lifestyle and home decor. Um, he is a single man. So, you know, his closet is chock full of his Washington apparel. I have told him he has to retire the old stuff like i had to say you cannot wear the racist shirt out in public that is bad good call good call right so he now has made the old washington stuff because he does not believe in getting rid of clothing he has made the old washington t-shirts like undershirts or like you know do yard work shirts or whatever so we're compromising there I don't think he ever leaves the team but he does love you guys and thinks that you are also his friends and that he should be able to talk to you about his team. Um, he messaged me recently and said, you guys are trying to take my coach, but I didn't follow up. Oh, Eric Bieniemy. Ah. Uh, the report about Eric Bieniemy, And that's, that's it for me. How is it that 
that a team with Ron Rivera and Eric Bieniemy is disappointing this much. Like that's the shocking part to me. I don't, but I don't think it's Eric Bieniemy though. I feel like you can see. No, it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's collect- they don't have a quarterback. Like <laughs> they don't have a quarterback. No. No one does. I don't really see, like, people keep talking about drafting quarterbacks, and I get it, but, like, I don't really see this next draft as having, like, the kind of talent that folks are looking for. Like, I want to be clear that Tom Brady's career is an outlier. It is not something that you are going to be able to recreate often. And that that was, like, magic in a bottle. You had the right coach the right quarterback, the right everything in these positions for this to happen. No team commits that much time anymore to someone being successful. First of all, everyone's ready to bail after three seasons. So, and the quarterback, like I said, the quarterback capital in the draft is not looking as stacked as people think it is. And that's no disrespect to any of the quarterbacks who are going to be there. They're all good, but the game has changed. The game has evolved. The things that we require from different positions are no longer the same and i think it's okay to admit that yeah i i think it is too it we had a couple of years where i felt like the college game and the pro game were finally in line and i feel like it's starting to veer away again and you know the other thing is i know we've we've all laughed at the nfl quarterback names that are starting games right now and the amount of six and six teams there are but I also think a lot, like probably too much, about the combination of Geno Smith and Pete Carroll and how Mm -hmm. they were, you know, the athletic quarterback tier rankings came out at the beginning of last season. And at the beginning of last season, Geno Smith was at the bottom and everybody talked about how much they loved him and they just thought he was a backup. And what does Pete Carroll do? You know, when you have a good coach who wants to put people in positions to succeed and has a college background where he's forced to do that based on the talent that he recruited. You know, I feel like, um, I just think like how many more people would be in successful spots and how many more careers would be good if they had a coach like that, you know, when, well, when that- everybody, when everybody likes you and they want you to succeed, but they don't, they don't put you in the right position. And this mm-hmm. guy does. And look what happened. And he got a contract. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just makes me think about so many others. I think the answer, one of the answers to that is there is not just a quarterback problem. We have a coaching problem, right? We have people holding positions for decades who it's time to move on. It's time. It's time. Go do something else. Go, go, go coach a high school team. Go volunteer at, you know, the girls and boys club. Do something else. You've made millions of dollars and now you're just holding a position and so they are also keeping the game from evolving in a lot of ways because you have new ways of thinking you have new ways that analytics are applied to sports in helpful ways i know we're always going to have an anti-analytics crowd but i can't i can't i can't co-sign that like we absolutely have to understand that we have the science we have the technology we have the math and younger minds are different minds uh, it's it's time to bring them into these positions. And there's a lack of trust from football elders 
that is obvious everywhere. You got, you know, coaches who don't trust their quarterback to throw the ball. That's the quarterback's job. Like yep. that your offense runs through the quarterback. And I, I don't know, there's just so many things in sports in general where they're just no disrespect with the word dinosaur, but we got dinosaurs who are just kind of kicking back, holding positions, making millions of dollars. I actually was very pleased, and this is a baseball example, that Dusty Baker retired. Dusty Baker got his ring, tried to run it back. It did not happen. He said, you know what? I'm out. That's the way it should be. And Dusty hung on a long time. Yeah, he um, did. But but he also was someone who had a good relationship with his players. He played his young players. We don't, you're not seeing that anymore. You're seeing the elders say, this is how I want the game to go. And they're not modifying the offense to the personnel. Um, It's, it's like, like I was saying about my own job, my editors allow me to be me. That is exactly what NFL coaches need to do. You let Justin Fields play like Justin Fields, I bet you see a lot more productivity on the field. You let everyone know their position and play it well to the best of their ability. You're cooking with gas now, but that's too much like, right. There's a lot of ego in sport that we don't talk about. I know we we should talk about it more. Um, As we wrap this up, I always like to ask the question, you know, is there something on your mind that you would like to discuss that I didn't ask about? Yes, actually. I would like to talk briefly from you, hear from you on Zach Levine. What? What? (sighs) (laughs) What's going on with the Bulls? Zach Levine's sitting out when he's supposed to be like trade capital and now it's like three to four weeks. I actually- What's good with that? I do. I I at least want to believe him because of how many injuries he's played through that are bad knee injuries, you know, based on his, his knee history. I think he's, Mm -hmm. there's a reason he's talking about his foot. Like, I don't think that's unfounded. I, Mm -hmm. I don't like it when I probably make the, I'm probably the person making the most excuses for him at this point. I feel like, and I don't even know that they're excuses. I just having covered him for a while. I feel like I, kind of understand a little bit it's it's incredibly sad that it's gotten to this point when he earned that max contract and I'm sure he feels that way but you know it's I hate that it didn't work because I feel like they all like each other and when you like each other and it doesn't work that makes it tragic (laughs) like it doesn't make it at least when people don't like each other and it doesn't work, you know why and it makes sense and there's some right in the world. But the mm-hmm. Bulls, you can tell on the court that they like each other. Like I would see all the the faces that like Zach and Vooch would make to each other while playing and you could clearly observe that these are two people who enjoy working with each other. So yeah, it's just, uh, to me, it's, it's, I'm just sad it didn't work out. I also think he probably goes to the Lakers because that's the team everybody's talking about, even though they don't have a first round pick that's available until 2029. And that is not okay to me. Like the bulls need more assets, but it would make sense. Like I think it would be a good fit for him. And, you know, you talk about culture and just learning 
systems and learning how to be. And at some point, when your only four-game win streak in your entire career happens two years ago or last year, where he, Zach Levine hadn't won four games in a row ever, um, it's, it's going to wear on you. Like too many times yeah. you're going to be like, oh, crap, I got to do this because I'm the only one who can do this. And it takes a lot of faith in other people to say, no, I'm going to make this extra pass or I'm going to play differently. And of course it's not going to go well for a while because you're you're doing something different. So it's just it's just sad to me that it's it's gotten to the point where it's at right now because this should have been more functional on the court. Like the like just I don't but I think personality wise it's not. I saw the video of him and and Beth the uh, the PR person. I do think like he never enjoyed doing post game interviews on the court with me just because I think he just doesn't like doing them. But um, I just, I'm bummed that it's, it's come to this in a way where he's gotta, he's gotta do this, but he also is right. Like he hired Rich Paul to be traded, right? He hired to, he hired Rich Paul to manage his career, whether that's trade or whether that's a contract, whatever. And uh, I think he's right to say, you know, Rich handles that for me because that's that's why you pay that man. Mm-hmm. You ain't pay, you're not paying him no dollars for that. So um, I feel like that's the right answer. But unfortunately, I just it is sad that it's it's turned out this way because I do genuinely believe that they all like each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't I, 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 like, I don't know if that's a sufficient I, enough answer. But that's no, it's I fine. I, I think it's a good answer. I like Zach. Um, I think every team should have a really attractive guy on it. Um, Zach's very good looking, right? Like, let's keep it a buck. Zach's really—he's—he's—he's fine, and that helps a lot when it comes to to keeping people's attention when the team isn't doing well. Um, I love how red you got. Cause I I feel I feel guilty. Like, <laughs> no, it's the one thing no one says. Like, no one is like, "Hey, you know, the Bulls are definitely going through some things." But that's Zach. He's good looking. But it's the truth. I, and but, I've held the mic before and like just looked at him and I'm like, "Oh man, I shouldn't be in here." <laughs> there are a couple athletes. I've never talked to Zach like that, thankfully. But there are a couple athletes who. You have to say, like, please don't look me in my eyes, like in your mind. Like there are some where it's like, wow, you cannot because they they have that like Prince vibe, you know, where like people would say like Prince could steal your girl. I feel like that happens and you will lose track. And anyone with blue eyes, green eyes, hazel eyes, you got to be like, okay, you I'm going to ask you this question and I'm going to look directly at your shoulder. He's one of those. Like. You know, I think it's the like, cheekbones yes, no. too. It's the cheekbones, yeah. the hair, the diamond earrings. But I think the Bulls, <laughs> as one of the, as one of the most recognizable and successful brands in sport, need to absolutely put a product on the court that matches that brand. Mm-hmm. And whatever they need to do to get there. I would say I support it, if, even if that means that Zach goes to LA. But like, you gotta have something like the Bears. We cannot keep holding on to the '80s and '90s. Like, get out of there. 
let's let's do something new. Martellus Bennett, man, if he didn't hit that nail on the head with that threat on Twitter, if he didn't say that, I mean, he he crushed it. And he didn't just nail it for the Bears. He nailed it for so many teams. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, that's what you have. Until you've done something else, that's what you've done. And you can try to move forward in a way that's productive and you can embrace things. But if you haven't, it's a slippery slope. I said this um, on the radio and it was just kind of a point that got added in. And I think we were like late to break or something, but to me, how powerful is it to sell the brand of Michael Jordan to people? Like you could sell that to the White Sox and potential free agents and you could sell that to Bulls potential free agents or to your players. And if you wanted, just be like, we had Michael Jordan. We're going to keep it going on the baseball side and on the basketball side. And you could just have that standard of excellence and just keep wrecking shop for the rest of the time. And it's hard. It's hard to want to do that. It's expensive. But but I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine the power that that would wield in professional sports if that were the case. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they leaned into it, like, really did, what the power that that would wield with people. Oh, absolutely. I feel like the greatest example of a team leaning into their image and making an experience in this town, it's the Cubs. Win or lose. They have that experience. They have the Wrigley factor. Like, it's always a party up there. And I know people love to hate on it. Oh, it's a big party. Ah, duh, it's a sporting event. It's supposed to be a big party. It's supposed to be fun. A party is there no matter or not if they're winning or losing. The place is there, you know? It's their brand. That is what everyone needs to consider. What is our brand? What do we want people to think about when it comes to our team? And when you got Michael Jordan right there in your history, you got to bring that forward as much as you can. Like, just anyway, the White Sox and the Bulls have similar issues. They have a unique position in this city in these recognizable brands, these very historic players, like these guys who just hang around. You got coolness on both sides. No one looks at the Cubs and goes, wow, that guy's real cool. Ever, ever, (laughs) ever, 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 ever. But those teams have it and they don't utilize it. They don't. That's, That's where I will end my thoughts today is Chicago teams need to lean into being cool. You are the third largest market in the United States. Every single one of your teams is a historic brand. Why are you not leaning harder on that? There's no reason why star athletes shouldn't want to come here. Jason Hayward is a walking billboard for this city. He named his dogs after the town. He like loved it here. He got tattoos and stuff. Like that's what you want. You want to indoctrinate Chicago into your players the same way it happens to those of us who are transplants who move here. That is yeah. my spiel. Amen. As both being transplants, I don't get it either because I love it here. And shout out to Jason Hayward. He got $9 million from the Dodgers two days ago. <laughs> Another person. You do not want to look you in the eyes when you are interviewing them. He is a starer yeah. in a good way. He makes eye yeah. contact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you for uh, thank you for for blowing up my spot about Zach. I really didn't mean to. <laughs> I just there were times where I was like, "Am I crazy? 
have I just seen him too much or is he really that good looking and I'm just being weird I mean I can say it I don't have to talk to him and he's hopefully he doesn't listen or no one near him listens like the guy's attractive I'm there's not nothing to wrong with that I'm not trying to steal anybody. It's not like that. Like, that's also the beauty of our age is I think people, people like, I'm like, no, no, hard no, no. But like, <laughs> credit where it's due, man. That's all yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's all it is. We are credit where it's due. Win. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I have, we, we encourage happy homes, happy marriages, happy yes, life, happy I'm, life, all that. Yeah. Also, like, that's messy. I don't even like admitting that I think somebody's good looking when I work with them. That's weird. But like. Yeah, me neither. Luckily, yeah, I'm no, problem. no. I like to separate church and state. But but uh, I had a friend who shall remain nameless who once told me she was holding the mic and got lost in Sergi Baca's eyes. <laughs> And she was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like she was holding it and she was like focusing and then just drifts and starts to like smile. Oh, no. Oh, it's so I'm good. interested in how one recovers from that. Like from I think it, just... he was talking to somebody else and she didn't even notice or he didn't even notice. So she just like oh, laughed okay, so. about it. It's such a good story. Like the way she, she illustrates it is priceless. And I'm like, yeah, dude, he dates Carrie. At the time, it was him and Carrie Hilson. I don't even know anymore. But yeah, we that was like the hot gossip for a while. And of course, you know, we're like, Sergi Baca, what did you do to get her? But that's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that about a lot of athletes. I'll be like, wow, your girlfriend or wife or partner is very pretty. Like, like Nam Diasawa and Carrie Washington, for example. Yeah, like these these guys aren't they aren't they aren't slacking in the picking very successful, attractive women to be with. Uh, but I guess that also you need someone to match your energy, right? Like you need someone to kind of be hot and successful as well. Elite, <laughs> elites matching eliteness, except for uh, poor poor Joel and B who just wanted to holler at Rihanna. Trust the process. Oh we gotta this end it on trust the process. So I trust know this... the, even even in life, trust the process. Trust the process. <laughs>